Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. The Boy Scouts say, be prepared to pack anything and everything that you might need to be ready for any eventuality. But what happens when all that stuff begins to weigh us down? Jesus had something better in mind for us. He said, don't think you need a lot of special equipment for this. You are the equipment. Keep it simple. In other words, travel light. Get ready to let some stuff go. To start unpacking, releasing heaviness, and maybe even regaining some of the special things we lost along the way. Good morning, Revolution. It's so great to be with you today. My name is Katie Scott. It's always a privilege to stand up here and speak with you. Um, I am a wife. I'm a mom of three kids. They are ages seven, five, and four. We had a birthday this week, so I have to think about it a little bit. Um, But it feels really great to stand up here today at the end of the summer, kind of at the close. Labor Day is that kind of unofficial close of the summer. And the last time I was up, it was the beginning of summer, and a lot of time has passed, and we've had a really amazing summer. But now... We're starting to move into my favorite season, fall, right? Where are those basic people, and you're kind of obsessed with fall? Low-key, high-key, you're, you're into it. I love it. I'm in good company here. Yes, we are proud. We are getting our moms out on our porches, right? And we are going to be drinking our pumpkin spice lattes, and we are kind of sweating in our sweaters and our jeans, and we don't care. And if you're one of those people, and maybe you hate pumpkin spice, you're like, that is the devil's brew. Like, I do not want that. Or maybe you just love summer better, and you're a little bitter that summer's ending and fall starting. People are so obsessed with it. But don't, don't rain on our joy here, okay? I stumbled across something on the internet. That's a really dangerous sentence. But I stumbled across something good on the internet, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, And this is an anti-basic shaming pledge. Okay? Let's take a look at this. This is an anti-basic shaming pledge. It was written by a lady named Erin Moon. It says, I will not shame others for loving something that has no impact on my life. Like drinking a pumpkin spice latte. Like fantasy football. Like going apple picking, and you're like, I've got a great idea. Let me pay triple price than a bag of apples in the store to go out and pick it myself. That will really just bring me some joy. And if that brings you joy, it has no impact on me, and we're excited for you, right? I will delight that there is something on this earth for all of God's children. If your delight is listening to Christmas music already, I've taken this pledge. I'm not going to shame you. Like if that brings you joy, I'm happy for you, okay? I am not cool because I poop on the things other people love. 
Okay? Yeah, just remember that, especially maybe if you're in middle school. Okay, I will not say, I can't believe you've never heard, seen, done, insert thing, implying someone other's stupidity or simplicity or reveling in my own delusion of superiority. That is a sentence. I like it. Okay, I love, you can fill in the blank, and I don't care who knows it, and you sign your name to it, okay? So um, my version of this, I'm going to put pumpkin spice latte in there, and I'm going to sign my name to it. And we're going to have this, you know, maybe out on social media. So if you feel like you need to take this anti-shaming um, pledge, you can go ahead and do it. If you want to send it to someone else who might be tempted to shame you, you go ahead and do that. <laughs> um, I honestly crave this change of seasons. I think there's something um, that God put into us to want this change of pace. And I, I do adore summer just not as much as fall. And summer is filled with so many amazing things for us. Like we got to sleep in, we got to travel and see friends and family. Um, We went to the lake, we had fun, we were spontaneous. And in the fall, it can feel a bit like we hit this accelerator pedal on our life and everything kind of speeds up. We get back to sports and after school activities and schedules and all of that, which is why I think the series has just been placed at a perfect time. Because in a season where we're tempted to overload our schedules, to overextend our wallets maybe, we are reminding ourselves that Jesus told us to travel light. To bring only what we need and to let go of the things that hold us back in our spiritual lives. And some of these things are a little tricky. They feel maybe like a good thing, like Matt talked about in the first week, those distractions that pull our hearts away from Jesus. And during week two, Mark Malin talked about traveling light in regards to our possessions, this literal stuff that we accumulate and can weigh us down and steal pieces of our heart. And last week, of course, we welcomed Anthony back, and he talked about releasing the burden of control, to let God be God and me be me, and to quiet that controlling chatter and lean into the truth that God loves us that God has a perfect plan for us, and he has got us safely in his arms. Now, we've kind of talked about some big topics, and I just want to put this caveat in here. In 30 to 35 minutes, we cannot. It would be impossible for us to cover everything that, that encompasses traveling light. So we're trusting you to reach out and get resourced in other ways. Maybe you need to bring in, um, you have real control issues and you need to bring in therapy or some other assistance or help in this journey. And we want you to take that next step. And today we're going to close this series by releasing something that all of us carry. You might not be a person um, that's distracted very easily. Maybe that's not you at all. Um, Maybe you're not someone that's very attached to your possessions or you just don't have a lot of stuff that's really easy for you to let go of. Maybe you don't have control issues. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty easygoing. But we all carry this. And that is our past. Good or bad, failing or successful, wasted or fruitful, with Jesus or without Jesus, We all carry our past. And our past can become really heavy. It can feel like a ton of bricks for some of us. And some of our past, we wear the kind of the badge of the um, shame of our mistake openly. I think of Hester Prine in The Scarlet Letter, which, spoiler alert, if you haven't read this 400-year-old book, or maybe you're just too young, you haven't come to it yet in school. Hester was a Puritan single woman, and she was pregnant, and she was um, forced by her community to wear this large letter A on her clothing at all times. And her past failures were right out in the open for everyone to see. 
but it takes two to tango, right? And the other participant in their sin wore their badge of shame internally, and it was just as heavy. And whether others can see the weight of our past or not, I would say for most of us, the past is something that we struggle letting go of. And Satan loves to attack us with our past. He knows it's one of the harder things for us to release. And today we aren't going to shy away from our past and we aren't going to be held back by them. We're going to travel light. Let's pray for a moment before we dive into the scripture. Father, you are so good and Jesus is is all we need, God. And you make the darkness flee. And we are so thankful for that, Father. I pray today that the grace and truth of your words would just enter into this place and that we would hear, hear your words, Father, full of grace and truth to us today. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to turn in your Bible, if you have it, or open up an app, and we're going to have it on our screen as well, to Luke 22, starting in verse 59. This is the story, we're kind of hopping right into the middle of the action, of the story of leading up to Jesus' death. And we're going to zoom in a little bit on one character in particular, and that man is Peter. Peter is one of Jesus' followers. He's in this inner circle with Jesus, and yet... When Jesus is taken by the religious leaders and is being tortured and will eventually die, Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Verse 59 reads, About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter messed up. Like he knew it, Jesus knew it, and this regret and pain of his past mistakes, our past sins, our past choices can lead us to that moment of that bitterness. And Peter was broken by his past. And Satan loves to tell us that our past makes us unlovable. Our past is unforgivable. Our past makes us useless to God. But what does God say? I love that we can read ahead in the story and we can find out exactly what God said to Peter, what Jesus said to Peter, after he just kind of had this massive failure. We're going to move over to John 21 to pick up this story. And Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared from his disciples. And he's met with them. He's touched them. He's done more miracles. And Peter decides during this time when Jesus is with him, but not just with them every day, um, that he's going to go fishing. He just stands up and says, I'm going to go fishing. And we don't know what kind of motivated that. If it was, you know, he's bored, he needs a stress release. Um, Maybe he's just like, I need to go back to my old way of earning income. Like, we don't quite know what motivated it. But Peter decides to go fishing, and he brings some of his friends along, about five of the other disciples. And long story short, they go out on their boat in the afternoon, and they stay out all afternoon and all evening, all the way through the night. And they catch nothing. Not a fish. Not a thing at all. Probably not very stress-relieving, if that's what Peter was going for. 
And then Jesus shows up. He shows up on shore in the early morning, and he hollers at them to try their nets on the other side of the boat. And when they do, they get this miraculous haul of fish, just tons of fish. And Peter is so eager. He's so excited to see Jesus. He recognizes him, and he jumps off the boat, and he swims ashore. And then the boat pulls up with the fish, and Peter just, like, hauls the whole thing up onto the shore. And I imagine at this point, Peter's probably exhausted. He's been out fishing all night, and he's just had this, like, surge of adrenaline, and he's, you know, swam to shore and done this, like, he-man hold all this fish in. And I feel like at this moment, probably that's all left him, and he's just feeling exhausted. And in John 21, 12, it says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And Jesus is going to speak some life and some healing into Peter about his past. Before he does this, let's not miss that Jesus cares for him physically. Jesus has washed Peter's feet, and now he's going to cook him breakfast. My mom makes some pretty amazing breakfast dishes. And I am a grown woman with three children of my own. And sometimes just being a mom constantly day after day after day after day after day after day and taking care of other people's needs can just be really tiring. And so I love um, when we go to my mom and dad's house and maybe I'm up sleeping in my old childhood bedroom and I wake up and just the smell of like coffee and bacon and this raspberry coffee cake that my mom makes just comes like wafting up the stairs and I can make my own breakfast, right? I can make my own breakfast, but there is something so sweet and so tender about my mom making breakfast for me. And there's something so kind and amazing about Jesus making breakfast for Peter. I'm sure Peter could have made his own breakfast, but instead Jesus chose to just tenderly care for him in this way. And I just love that about Jesus, right? He's so, so kind. And we're going to keep reading um, more of his kindness and grace in these next verses. If we look at verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because the Lord asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And the enemy was probably speaking some things over Peter in this moment, telling him things that he speaks over you, things that um, your mind, that internal chatter speaks over yourself, like you are unlovable, unforgivable, and useless because of your past mistakes. But please notice what Jesus speaks over him. Jesus doesn't bring up the past at all. He doesn't say to him, why did you do that, Peter? How could you be such a screw-up? What were you thinking? Don't you know that other people look up to you? You're supposed to be a leader in this movement. 
Jesus lovingly prepares him breakfast, and then he gives Peter an opportunity for Peter to tell Jesus how much he loves him. And then Jesus sets him on mission again, telling him, feed my sheep. And he gives him three opportunities to tell him how much he loves them and for Jesus to say back to him, back on mission, feed my sheep. And I love that so much. When our son Barrett was little, he's five now and still to this day, he just doesn't have a lot of body awareness. It's the kind of kid he is. Um, Some might say a lack of body awareness is like clumsy, but we like to frame it a little differently. And he just gets kind of distracted and he crashes into things a lot. And I just think that this video, this moment that I thought of just kind of perfectly illustrates what Jesus is reminding Peter of in this moment. You want some fish? He wants. There's a door there. You're okay. Come on. Do you want some of these? You want some? Fishies? Fishies, he's so excited. (laughs) But I love that video because Barrett runs straight into the wall, right? Just really gets it right there. And then falls down and then Nate encourages him, come on, get up. (laughs) Let's go to the fishies. Just like God is always ready to dust us off, to forgive us and set us back on our feet, back on mission again. Because our past doesn't disqualify us at all. And your story is not about your failure, but about God's victory. If your past has some failure, it has some of that kind of dark badges, it has some betrayal in it, ways that you feel like you've let God down, you are in good company in the family of faith. This is what God does. This is why Jesus came to bring forgiveness and put our past behind us. And I know some of you might be sitting here thinking, like, awesome. Like, I am so glad that God forgives um, people from their past. And I don't quite have a past like that that, like, trails after me. And I don't really have a big screw-up in my rear view. And I sort of relate to this. Um, I don't really have, like, a history or a testimony or anything like that in my past. But I do still carry some baggage about my past. And we are such professional sinners that we can respond simply to the negative events in our past, but we can also respond simply to the positive events in our past. The enemy loves to rewrite the script. And if he can't trip you up and put a scarlet letter on you, he has other means. The enemy will tell you lies about the positives in your past. He'll say you did this unaided, that you made the good things in your life happen for yourself. That your family, your financial security, your health, you brought this about for yourself. And I was kind of thinking of this as like an American thing, but it's not an American thing. It's a human thing. And God knows our heart's propensity to do this. He actually told the people of Israel before they even entered the promised land, he said, you're going you're gonna to start this, this unaided kind of thinking. In Psalm 44.3, it says, For it was not by their sword that they took their, the land. Their arm did not bring them victory. It was by your right hand your arm, and the light of your face because you favored them. We want to take credit for the blessings God has given us as if we earn them ourselves. And psychology calls this a self-serving bias. 
and it's the common habit of a person taking credit for the positive events and outcomes in their lives, but blaming outside factors for negative events. You have done this because you have told your spouse, you will not believe what your son did today. Or like, oh, your daughter, her attitude is testing me. It is testing me today. And then of course, like when they're up on stage and doing something great, you're like, oh, look at her. She's just like me at that age. Like I was just like that. Ask my mom. Yes, I was just like that. So we all do this in some sense. We have this self-serving bias that says, I accomplished the good things in my past unaided. I'm self-made. God may would have a little bit to do with it, but I had more to do with it. And I think there's another sneaky lie we tend to believe about the good in our past, that the good in our past is unattainable again. In this situation, the pendulum has kind of swung the opposite direction, the other way. We might think things like, yeah, I remember that one year that I read through my Bible in the entire year, and that was amazing. That was so awesome, but I could never do that again. I just, I don't have the time right now in my life. I just, I couldn't do it again. Or maybe, like, I love to serve on mission trips, and I just felt so excited about what God was doing in the world, and I love that, but, man, that's a young person's game now. I couldn't do that again. And we compare our past selves with our present selves, and it feels unattainable. Fun fact, I used to run half marathons. <laughs> I know, routinely, I would run like one every year for a few years, and I'd run three to five miles um, every three or four days, um, three or four times a week, and it was just my thing for a little bit. And then I had kids, and three of them, and when I look back at the races that I ran and the things I used to do, instead of using them as a source of confidence or joy, I use them as a source of shame to shame present day me, to make me feel bad about being a beginner again, at starting back at something I was once good at. But 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sakes, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My past doesn't have to be unattainable. God's grace is sufficient for my next right thing today. And I've actually um, started running again. This was before I knew I was giving this talk, so I wasn't like, I know what I'll do. I'll start running again. It'll be the perfect sermon illustration. That was not the situation, okay? Um, but I had to start from zero, right? It's called a couch to 5K, right? Because you were sitting on the couch before. We've got to start from zero. So right now, um, I have ran like five minutes in a row, and it was the longest five minutes of my life. <laughs> and I used to run for like over two hours at a time. And I could choose to be discouraged about that. I could listen to that chatter in my mind telling me that I should just give up and like, how did I get so far removed from who I used to be? But instead, I choose to run the minute I'm in. I take my next right step and then I take another one and another one. In the same way spiritually, I'm not gonna let what seems unattainable in my past define my present journey with the Lord either. The final way the enemy lies to us about the good in our past is to make us unbothered. This is the lie of complacency, telling us we can rest on our laurels and that we've done enough. 
And you would have to be sent out like on a raft to a deserted island. You have to take your raft far away for the last two years to think that there is no kingdom work to be done on the earth today. Jesus has a fresh work to do. No matter how much good we've done in our past, we don't get to be unbothered today. And there's so much biblical precedent for this. I love this. Um, I think of Caleb, who was one of those spies sent into the promised land, and then he had to go back out into the wilderness for 40 years. And then when Israel was finally entering the promised land, Caleb said, give me this mountain. He said, give me the hardest part, and that's what I want to go after. I think of David, who at the end of his life, drama-ridden life. Let's talk about someone with with high points and huge mistakes all mixed together, right? He set aside what was needed to build the temple, the future place of worship to God. And we see it in John, the disciple of Jesus, who in the last years of his life saw a vision of God's final victory and wrote it down to encourage us that God always wins. A story about you has a start date and an end date. But the story of God's victory, the story of God's kingdom coming on earth is endless. And you get to participate in it. No matter if you look at your past and see mostly negative or mostly positive or like most of us, both. Right? It's this laden of both over the years and the choices that we've made. But our story is not about you, but about God's victory, his grace, and his unparalleled timing in your life. You may have written a different story, but God only writes good ones, my friends. And I stand here today and acknowledge with you that our past, whether good or bad or that mixed bag, feel really heavy at times. And Jesus asked us to travel lightly. So I want to give you just a couple steps that you can take today. The first thing you can do is you can close the door. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Your forgiveness is dependent on God's faithfulness and his justice, not on anything you've done. If you've got a past with stuff in it, a past full of sin and bad choices and remorse, you don't have to hold on to that. God promises to forgive all those who come to him. And God wants to bring you into the family as a fully forgiven, beloved child of God. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, his handiwork. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. His masterpiece, no matter what heaviness your past holds, that's what he has spoken over you. God saved you by his grace, and your past isn't a part of that equation. And your past, love it or hate it, has brought you to this moment, to the choice of following Jesus in God's plan and God's timing. Receiving God's forgiveness is closing the door on your past. You may be thinking to yourself, but Katie, I I've done that. I've taken that step in following Jesus. I've asked God for forgiveness. Um, and I feel like I shut the door, but then 
the door just kind of opens up again. And I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do when I start hearing this internal chatter or Satan throws my past up in my face and that door creaks open. I'm gonna give you some practical steps. First of all, we're gonna get louder with the truth. Okay, you can speak scripture over yourself. When you hear that chatter, you can say, no, I am a beloved child of God. I'm God's handiwork, his masterpiece, and God has a good plan for my life. I'm saved by grace. Nothing that I do can make me more or less loved. You can pray scripture back to God, so you can speak that scripture over yourself. I, I say that stuff out loud, like over just over myself. You could think it in your head if you want, but you can also pray scripture back to God. So in that situation, maybe you feel, hear the, that internal chatter, or you just feel like your past is coming back at you. You say, God, I am struggling to believe the fully forgiven verdict you have given me. Help me to believe, like 1 John 1 says, that you are faithful and just and have forgiven my past. Help me to believe it, God. Um, number three is to have God's people pray over you. Um... Fall is also scary movie season, right? It's time when people watch scary movies. I hate scary movies. I've never watched like one scary movie because I don't like to watch people make bad decisions, right? Okay, so what happens in like, they're in the haunted house, they're in the graveyard, you know, wherever they are and the two people together are like, hey, I got a great idea. Let's split up, right? You go to the basement and I'll go to the attic and they do this, and I can't even watch it because they should be calling for backup and instead they split up. Text a friend, go to our prayer room. You need spiritual backup in some moments. Just say to a friend like, man, Satan's attacking me with my past. I need some spiritual backup. Will you pray with me? Will you do that for me? There are people in this room that do it. You can text that number we put up every week. You can go to the prayer room and if you ask them to pray for you over the course of the week, they will. And finally, once we've kind of shut the door in our past, and maybe we've like shut it again and shut it again, we can step into the future that God has for us. And Isaiah 43, 19 says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do not perceive it. I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is one of my like favorite, favorite Bible verses. And God, in it says, whether your path was a wilderness or a wasteland, I can make it new. I can grow things there. Whether nothing has ever grown there before, or man, maybe you're in your 40th harvest season and the ground, the land feels tired. God says, I can grow kingdom things in your life. Philippians 3, 12 to 14 says, not that I have already obtained this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're always on a journey. We're always looking for that next step, that new thing that God wants to do in our lives, not for our glory, because the story isn't about us, but about God and his victory. 
and we're going to close with the band just kind of playing over us for a bit. And I want you to take a moment as we close out this talk, as we close out this series, this whole series about traveling light, and I want you to spend a little bit of time with these two questions. What does God want you to close the door on? What do you need to release so that you can travel light? And this, this could take you back to the first week when we talked about distractions and there was something that you were thinking of but you haven't taken that step yet. What does God want you to close the door on? What does God want you to step into? What does God have for you in the future? These new things, your next right thing in following Jesus. I'm gonna just give you some time with these questions. since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Father, we come to you today so, so grateful that we are your fully forgiven children, God. We're so grateful the forgiveness that you offer all of us this free gift of your grace. And we're so thankful that if we confess our sins, you are the one that's faithful and just to forgive us. We thank you, Father, that we have a future with you, that you have a good plan for our lives, God. We're thankful that you gave us the path just to fix our eyes on Jesus. God, I pray for us in this room as we close out this series, Father, that you would release weights in this room. That those who need prayer, man, they just need someone to come alongside them, that they need that backup, Father, that they would reach out and receive that support. That they would go to the prayer room, God, that they would text a friend, someone they love. Because we're better together, Father. We are the great cloud of witnesses that encourage each other on our race. 
Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you can grow things in our lives. Good things that you planned long ago for us. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.